The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, it's Friday. Loving it. It's time for the Disability Law Show. Good way to ease into your weekend with some knowledge and some education. Savannah Tamarkin, of course, is here again, courtesy of Samfiru Tamarkin, the, uh, the, the firm that is the number one Googled and positive Googled reviewed firm, law firm overall in this country. How about that? You want to reach out to Savannah and his team, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And there is another website. This has been used by tens of thousands. In fact, we'll probably get to uh, an email or a note from it very shortly that is my disability questions.com it's free it's anonymous it's searchable that's how cool the algorithm is you can search to see if a question like yours has been asked in the past it'll save you some time in typing right if not leave it there one of savannah's team will get back to you my disability questions.com and on the show uh this afternoon savannah is going to be understanding how insurers evaluate a claim this is awesome an inside look we'll get to that in just a couple minutes but we always start off with the case of the day pal what do you got going on John, great to be with you and with our listeners again. I want to start off by talking about something that's close to my heart here, and that's you know our elderly population. Uh, anytime we're dealing with a vulnerable group of people, children, the elderly, the disabled, I, I feel that there are not enough protections out there for them. And, and I feel a lot of times like people, you know, many people out there, corporations especially, just ignore those individuals. Uh, so let me tell you about an interesting call that I had this week. Uh, and, and again, one of those cases where I listen very intently to the person uh, that's, that's uh, um, uh, getting in touch with me. And, and in this case, I, I'm going to help this lady uh, and, and her, her father, actually. Um, and, and so let me tell you the scenario. Let me just jump right into it. So this was a daughter of, of an elderly uh, uh, person, and, and he was severely injured when he had fallen from a bed in one of those long-term care facilities uh, during the time that he was being transferred from his bed to the chair. So usually in those kinds of locations, when a person has mobility issues, uh, the individuals working there usually have some contraptions, some kind of mechanisms that help individuals get from their bed to the chair. Not always, but in some instances. In this case, they had that there, but the person responsible, the worker, did not use that as he should have used uh, and, and so what happened was this, this elderly parent, uh, as a result, and broke his left hip, uh, hip, and this resulted in multiple surgeries and some complications. Uh, he, he lives, uh, luckily, but he's in tremendous pain. This happened a few months back. Tremendous, tremendous pain. Uh, his mobility is even further compromised. There was, there was an internal investigation done. There was also an investigation from the Ministry of Health or whoever the regulatory body is that deals with this. Uh, clearly... You know, the daughter that contacted me is extremely angry about this. Her parent, her, her father is in like, a tremendous pain here. And this was completely unnecessary. And so the investigation revealed that, first of all, they didn't have, they should have had two individuals helping to move him from the bed to the chair, uh, not just one. And number two, that person apparently had issues before. There were disciplinary issues before, wasn't following protocol. So there were problems, Okay. So what do you do in a situation like this? What do you do when your elderly parent in a retirement home, long-term, uh, long, long-term care facility, etc., is is injured or, or even you know f- fatally injured in those situations? That that's happened as well. That I've dealt with those cases too. Well, you have options. 
absolutely have options. You and your family and the individual who suffered have options. And the options are to start a legal proceeding against that organization, that retirement home, the long-term uh, care facility, whoever was responsible. Now, before I get condemned by some of the members of the public <laughs> saying, oh, you're just a personal injury lawyer, ambulance chaser, all that, let, 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 let me put this to you. Uh, and I've dealt with many of these kinds of cases and other kinds of cases where you're dealing with large corporations, large retailers who don't have certain protocols in place to prevent, uh, I don't know, spillages on floors to be cleaned up immediately and all that. Unless they get hit in their pocketbooks, unless there is a monetary uh, um, award here that is significant enough to move the needle, these corporations, these organizations simply do not learn and they don't care. It has to hit them in their pocketbook. And sometimes it has to hit their insurance company's pocketbooks so that their rates go up so that they actually care about this. Now, they won't care necessarily about the individuals they're treating or are supposed to be uh, uh, taken care of, but they will care about how much they're paying their insurance companies and how much they're paying in these settlements. And I can tell you that when you have an investigation, internal and external or one or the other, that shows that there is negligence, that there is lack of protocol, that you know there are other issues here uh, that have led to this unfortunate event, I can tell you that they come to the table fairly quickly and try to resolve these kinds of claims outside of the legal process. I've had right. cases where I've simply written, written letters outlining in detail the legal basis for a legal claim against this organization. And by the way, I've dealt with some of the largest retirement homes and long-term care facilities in the country. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I have resolved these kinds of claims outside of the legal claims process because they understand that the last thing they want is for me to use this megaphone of a radio and TV to blast out their incompetence <laughs> and what That's they've great. done. And, and yeah. you know, really, we should be doing that. We should be taking them to task. Again, this is our most vulnerable population here. If it's not me, it should be someone else. The point is these organizations need to get their act together. We've seen the horror stories. We've heard the horror stories during COVID with some of these long-term care facilities. And I'm not, I'm not hitting at the nurses and I'm not saying that people who work there are bad people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that many of those organizations, based on my experience, are rotten. They're rotten to the core in terms of the, 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 the uh, um, uh, protocols that they have in place, in terms of the resources that they have. And yes, sometimes they just don't have the money for it, but that's fine. So take on less patience. Yeah. Right. And right. My point is that we need to hold them to account. And so I explained to, to this lady exactly what uh, the options are here. And we're going to move forward on this and we're going to make sure that this place, this this uh, uh, retirement place, long, long term care facility is going to be held to account and that Love the proper it. compensation is going to be paid to her, the family and her father. Reaching out for you anytime, uh, something similar or otherwise, give Savan and his uh, his crew a call, toll-free, obviously, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get into this, Ben, our remaining minutes of the uh, the first segment before a, a break, Savan, that is understanding how insurers evaluate a claim. Because, you know, as, as you know, normal people who are using these insurance companies and making a claim, we just see the end result, a dollar amount for yeah. whatever reason. We don't know how they extrapolate what they have to do to get to that point. So it's a bit of an inside look. So take us through it, man. Absolutely. So it really does depend on the type of injury or accident we are dealing with. And remember, right. I'm not an adjuster. I don't work inside an insurance company. I'm speaking as someone who used to defend insurance companies and uh, insureds who were insured by insurance companies. So 
I was reporting many, many years ago to insurance companies on claims, and I would have discussions with adjusters and claims managers, even VP, uh, VPs of some of these insurance companies about how to assess the claim, how much money to put aside. So you have to understand that when you're dealing with an injury, a serious injury or any injury, and an insurance company is advised that they may be on the hook because whoever they've insured, whether it's a property manager, uh, you know, a, 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 a car owner, someone who caused an accident, uh, when they assess how much they potentially may have to pay for a claim, they are looking at various things to try and figure out how much money to put aside the insurance company to pay out that claim. They're not going to tell you that they put that money aside, but they have to put that money aside for accounting purposes, shareholder purposes, etc. So what do they look at? Well, the first question they look at is liability. Are they even at fault? Do they have exposure? Before they even assess the amount, the quantum, they have to figure out, would we have to pay? And so that when we're dealing with a slip and fall, for example, when we're dealing with a car accident, that's the first question. And that's the first question in the legal sense, but also in the insurance valuation sense. Let's assume that the insurance company has decided, yes, whoever the person that we insured who's liable for this is responsible. And they may, by the way, may not be 100 percent. Maybe it's a type of case where they assess 50-50 liability, like the, the person who's injured uh, was 50% responsible for the accident, whereas their insured was also 50%. It doesn't matter what the amount is, as long as they've established internally that they may have to pay out a certain claim, they now move on to the second stage, which is to assess damages. What is the quantum? Uh -huh. They look at the types of injuries. What are the injuries? Is it a brain injury? Is it a, a shoulder uh, injury? Is it, is it a back injury, a psychological injury? And they look at these injuries and in conjunction with their adjusters and sometimes defense lawyers, the way I used to do defense work, they'll ask us for our opinions and we'll tell them, yeah, this particular injury for pain and suffering, this is how much money we think potentially you're on the hook for. And so they will put that money aside. Let's say that it's a hip fracture. I'll tell them, look, your potential exposure here is let's say 80 to $120,000 that you may have to pay this person who now suffers from this hip fracture because of your insured's negligence. So they'll put that aside. But they look at other things too. In Ontario, you can make a claim for pain and suffering, which is called general damages. Income loss, uh, loss of competitive advantage. If you're having issues doing overtime, if potentially you can't do the kind of work you hope to be doing in the future. What about if you need certain treatments, uh, medical yeah. rehabilitation treatments or help around the home? Uh, things that are not covered by a third party, you know, like uh, a healthcare provider, maybe benefits through work. Well. Again, they assess all that and they put that aside. They look at any experts that potentially may end up getting retained by whoever represents the injured individuals. And again, they adjust their reserves. So throughout the life of a claim, the insurance company is looking all this information in real time and adjusts their reserves. Now, one thing to understand here, and this is really important, and I've said this before, and it's true. Insurance companies will also adjust reserves in some cases based on who represents the claimant. I'm telling you that when I used to do defense work, if I saw a claim on my desk from one law firm, and I can think of a few of those across Ontario, who I knew had a really bad reputation. By bad reputation, I mean they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they would just settle the claims uh, for very little. Uh, they would not hire experts. I would tell the insurance company, you have a lot less risk, meaning you have to reserve less money to settle right. the claim than if you have another law firm or a lawyer that's what's what we call a heavy duty lawyer, a heavy duty player, right? That's somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody who uh, is going to go all the way if need be, who's going to hire the right experts, who's going to get the right information. 
and is going to be aggressive in pursuing the claim. And so who the lawyer and law firm is that represents the individual may very well, and in my experience, almost always did affect how much money the insurance company put aside to settle the case. Very nuanced. And again, you want to reach out anytime to have that discussion or otherwise with uh, Savan and his team. You can anytime, one 821 5900 Cast past uh, episodes of our TV show, not just radio. You can do that at disabilityrights.ca and help at disabilityrights.ca for any emails. Dana, we're going there with your email. Thanks for sending that along this evening. We will get to that after a short break as we continue uh, for a little while longer here on the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you here on a Friday evening. Get your weekend started uh, correctly with some some knowledge and some takeaways. Savan Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country, how about that? Reaching out one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to Dana's email here in a moment. You know, you often, uh, Savan, talk to talk to and see people who have suffered injuries and accidents. Some of them apply for disability and and also start legal claims against whoever caused their injuries. That and that. Should they do both or just one or the other? Which one's first? I mean, how do you how do you navigate that? And that's a good question because a lot of individuals out there who have suffered injuries in a slip and fall in a car accident, cyclist accidents, etc., many of them work at companies that provide certain benefits, including long-term disability, short-term and long-term disability. And people ask me, well, okay, I'm getting benefits, let's say, from my automobile insurer, accident benefits, they cover some of my income, uh, I, you know, maybe I'm getting some other types of benefits, but I can also apply for short-term or long-term disability, or maybe CPP disability even, should I do it? And my advice is, yes, apply to all of them, absolutely all of them, why? Not because you may necessarily be able to stack them. Many of them, you know, if for example, uh, you get long-term disability and then you apply for CPP disability from the government, if you get CPP disability, that reduces how much your long-term disability insurer has to pay you. But the reason to get all of these sources of, of income is because it reinforces the fact that you are in fact disabled. And if one of these uh, income streams stops, you have another one as a backup. And, and so, you know, you do need to do that. However, however, that also leads to the question, John, of what happens if in some instances you get them and then you get cut off by one of them. Let's say you're getting income replacement benefits from your own automobile insurer because you were in a car accident, but at the same time you're getting long-term disability. That's fine. We can deal with your automobile insurer we can go after them for the fact that they stopped paying you income replacement benefits. Meanwhile, you are getting still income from your long-term disability insurer. But what happens if the long-term disability insurer stops paying you? Well, again, we are able then to go after them. And, and the, the reason why it's so important to get a law firm that has expertise in all these areas is because these are different insurance policies. A long-term disability insurance policy is very different than a, a an insurance an automobile insurance pol- uh, policy, which is essentially a, a, a generic, if you will, insurance policy by the province of Ontario that's issued by the province of Ontario. Uh, so it, it, they're different. The statutes are different. The legislation is different, and you need to understand, or the lawyer you you hire needs to understand how they interact, because if the lawyers, the law firm that you have doesn't understand the interaction between these insurance policies, 
you may end up resolving one or all of these policies on terms that are not as favorable to you as could be if the lawyer did know the interaction between them. And of course, if you throw into the mix, John, employment issues, you know, let's say you're getting income replacement benefits, you're getting long-term disability, you're getting CP disability, and then your employer decides to fire you. Yeah. What do you do with severance? How does yeah. severance affect any one of these policies? Again, this is why you need to understand that the lawyer you choose, the law firm you choose, may seriously impact how much money, how much net dollars end up coming into your pocket. And I've seen situations where people have come to me for one or more of these issues after they've gone to a law firm that has screwed things up. And sometimes we can fix those mistakes. Sometimes we can't because too much has passed, too much time has passed, and too many mistakes have been made. So you want to do this right from the outset, which is why we tell people, listen, we'll advise you on all of these things. Uh, we're not going to charge you anything. We're going to make sure you have the information you need, and then you can decide which way you want to proceed. Want to get to Dana's email? This one, man, it rings close to home for both of us because we got uh, we got daughters for sure. But Dana says, "Hey, Savan, my daughter was riding her bicycle when she was hit by a car who drove too close to her. The driver was charged by the police, and my daughter, who was 13, was taken to hospital. This happened three weeks ago." My daughter broke two teeth and hit her head very hard. She was vomiting and dizzy, and the doctors are still testing her. They said that she suffered a brain injury, which is very, very scary. How should we deal with a driver who hit her? I'm extremely angry at him. No kidding. I, oh, my gosh. I, Dana, I, oh, I can't even imagine this. No John, kidding. Right. Both of us have young daughters. I, I can't even fathom this. Uh, but, Dana, I mean, the fact that the driver was charged, obviously the driver is at fault here. Uh, remember what I talked before about, about how insurance companies – look at these kinds of claims look before i get to the uh legalities here it's critical obviously that your daughter gets all the medical attention she needs and the fact that she suffered the brain injury i'm hoping it's a mild brain injury i'm hoping she's going to get better very soon you know kids are resilient uh they get better very quickly uh sometimes many times but sometimes they don't and one of one of the things we need to consider here is that this may be a long process Dana, uh to, to try and understand the full scope of the injury of the impact on her because maybe she'll get better and I hope she will but maybe not a hundred percent so we're gonna have to give it some time so I yeah. would focus obviously on the medical side of things I know you are on the legal side of things it's very important that we get in touch with the insurance company of the guy of whoever sorry, I said the guy but it could be a woman of whoever it is that actually hit your daughter because that insurance company is gonna be on the hook for a lot of things here they're gonna be on the hook for accident benefits various treatments that your daughter may require that are outside of what OHIP pays. Uh, there's going to be other expenses you're going to incur on behalf of your daughter that they may be on the hook for. And then there is the actual tort claim, that, that claim that we talk about where you go after someone for the pain and suffering, for future damages. I mean, in the, in the you know, worst case scenario, and I don't even want to contemplate this, but we need to think of this discussion, Dana, what happens if your daughter's brain injury is more permanent? What happens if that impacts her ability to advance in life? What happens if she needs certain help around the house or, or just generally going forward in the future? We need to be able to deal with these things early on and deal with the insurance company for whoever was responsible here early on so that they put the necessary money and reserves aside to pay your daughter what she's owed. In some instances, John, we can get an insurance company to make advanced payments as well, which means that they understand they're gonna be on the hook for money. Right now, the claimant or their family requires money, and so sometimes it's possible to get those insurers to provide advanced payments before there is a settlement or a judgment against them. 
So, you know, you have every right Anna, to be absolutely angry. I'd like an opportunity to speak with you, uh, other family members, uh, you know, to, 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 to just give you all the information you need. I know this is a very sensitive time. It just happened three weeks ago. You're focused on her health, but you've approached us about how to deal with our driver. And I'm telling you, we need to get in touch with our driver's insurance company ASAP and get the process started for the benefits and the compensation that that insurance company will have to pay your daughter and the family. Dana, nicely done. Thanks for the uh, for the email. For sure, you want to reach out by phone. You probably already have it, but one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Thinking about time to get Linda in there as well. Linda says, uh, "Savannah, I fell on ice in February and broke my right knee. Ouch! I'm a nurse practitioner. I've always been very active. I haven't been back to work because of this injury, and I'm afraid that I'll have major issues going forward. I'm sixty one years old, live by myself. I need to figure out how to get money in, or else I'll have to sell my house. What should I do right now, legally?" This is, this is again, very serious, Linda. Thank you for reaching out to us. Very sorry for what happened. First of all, I want you to go to ltdfaq.ca. Again, LTD, long-term disability, frequently asked questions, .ca, because we have memos there, uh, just general information for individuals out there that explain certain things about the claims process and also what kind of government benefits you could potentially go for now. Now, if you're a nurse practitioner, I don't know if you're part of a union, what kind of health benefits you have, but it's important you get in touch with them. With respect to the injury itself, breaking a knee is a serious injury. That often leads to a, a knee replacement, revision knee surgery in the future, other types of treatments that are maybe required, mobility issues. So this can be a very major case here, Linda, and it's absolutely critical that first of all, we notify whoever it is that was responsible for, for having the ice wherever you fell, uh, ASAP, if it's a municipal property, we've got to give the, munis- the municipality, uh, the, the, the clerk uh, of the municipality, uh, notice of the claim and the details of the incident within 10 days. This happened back in February, so I hope you did that. If not, get, get, you know, we should talk about that. Uh, and again, there are notice provisions we have to adhere to, even if it's private property. Uh, there is a potential legal claim here. And the legal claim is that if the ice wasn't properly, uh, sorry, the area wasn't maintained properly, uh, and, and so because of that negligence of whoever did not maintain it, whether it was a winter maintenance contractor or whoever was dealing with the property itself did not maintain it, they're liable to you for those injuries, for those losses. So not only can you be entitled to potentially pain and suffering damages, which could be sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars just that, but the income losses, if you're earning fifty thousand dollars a year and you can't go back to work for the next two years, that's a hundred grand right there. What if you're unable to go uh, back to work on a limited capacity? What if you were up for a promotion that now you had to pass on? We have to take that all into account. What about any changes around your home that need to be made to give you access because of mobility issues? You see, John, there are so many different nuances to a claim like this. This is a case that could easily, easily uh, uh, be worth, I'll say worth just from a monetary standpoint, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it needs to be done now. We have to deal with this now. And because this happened back in February, I really hope, Linda, that the proper notice was given to whoever was responsible. And that's why I urge people, if you're in an accident, you know somebody in an accident, suffered significant injuries, please get in touch with us ASAP so we can tell you what your rights are and what you need to do right now. 
Linda, appreciate that on our final note for the uh, for the show this evening. We want to reach out to Savannah and his team. Do not hesitate. It can be uh, just a laid-back conversation if you want to start that way. one 821 5900 That email address we always use, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more questions you can ask anonymously, there's a website called mydisabilityquestions.com. Use it. Take full advantage. And I'm sure you'll get some satisfaction that way as well. And uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.